How do we know what we believe? Bringing that back to how many decisions do we make actively knowing what we're making, it is frightening. And then combine that with being bombarded by, um, I mean, this number just keeps going up, but you, you're having thousands of messages in one way or another blasted at you every single day. Now, how many of those are actually sticking? And secondly, how many of those are not only sticking, but influencing you? without you even knowing it. What leads to us making decisions as humans and what is the consequence of the attention economy where people are endlessly scrolling, transactionally dating and getting exactly what they want when they want it. What's really important at the end of the day is uh, st strong, good, healthy um, values um, and they can just be simple values like the um, value of being able to socialise, um, to treat others with respect and love and kindness and not be hooked on um, blooming dopamine. Well, let's discuss all that in this podcast. I like to start any podcast with sort of the, the journey that people should go on. So like the, the guide that's going to take us on this journey. So this is your opportunity for the quick pitch of what do you do? Well, what we do is we uh, look to deeply understand our clients, their needs, and where they want to be. Uh, and ultimately build a journey for them to get there in terms of uh, growth um, targets, whether it's a revenue target or profit target, and then you know what is the digital marketing that needs to underpin the ability to to get there ultimately. Cool. All right, we're going to do some marketing chats. <laughs> I think um, like people want to know who you are. So where were you born, brother? We, let's go way back. Uh, I was born in Hamilton Hospital. I guess Waikato Hospital. In, oh, yeah. in Hamilton. What were your thoughts on um, it being rated one of the most beautiful cities in New Zealand? <laughs> in Wanganui, but with an H. Depends w. where you go. <laughs> <laughs> the river is lovely. There's some. Uh, the river walks are fantastic, on a, especially on a good day. Yeah. Amazing. The gardens are good. I, I heard they were rated like the be, uh, one of the best in the world. Wow. Um, and That's I was crazy. Like, yeah. They, which you know, it's fair. They're, they're really good gardens. So. I think you guys got a branding issue, especially in Auckland. Auckland talks so much shit about Hamilton. I have no idea why. Like I'm from Palmerston North. It's much worse. Go the Tron. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you get a lot of smack about Hamilton, or, or do you, do from like, time to time? Yeah, from why? time to time. What's the brand? What's their digital marketing issue? Digital marketing. Well, I mean, I think it's a wider marketing <laughs> issue, um, which stems back to uh, bring back the Hamilton uh, Hamilton on. You know, turn it on. You know, what happened to that? That disappeared. Got turned off. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean that um was it oh the other catch line was a, a city of the future you know <laughs> what happened to that <laughs> bring that back it all disappeared i've been up in auckland for over um 10 years now oh yeah and then um you know i've recently gone back to um hamilton they've, they've lost a bit of mojo so uh, i'm not sure uh, maybe it all went downhill after the uh, 300 uh sort of uh, bankrupted the Gee. I think maybe that was the uh, the nail in the coffin. Oh, we've got a resident expert on Hamilton. Like, okay, hypothetically speaking, if you became the mayor of Hamilton and you could influence anything you wanted, what are we changing in Hamilton? The Tahuya. <laughs> I don't know how much um, influence he has or they have uh, over the Tahuya, but the mighty Tahuya is coming back. Um, and I think the I don't actually know what Tahuya is. Oh, you, see, you this is the problem. Brother. This yeah, is yeah, the on. problem. On, Not enough marketing. Yeah. We, we need you. Grow Hamilton. 
Yeah. They should be your next project. Yeah, Tahuya. What's Tahuya? The Tahuya is the mighty train that carters people from the centre of Hamilton up to the Great Auckland into wow. the Strand. Uh, it's been running for two years. Um, I am a, a local partaker. Gets me um, up into Auckland on a regular basis. Oh, uh, he's recently been banned from Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not up to speed with that, um, it ran two red lights um, and put uh, the passengers in danger. And actually, something that went um, unreported. I was on the train at the time, and we hit a vehicle. So, um, yeah, it's why? hasn't been ideal. <laughs> what, what, what? Why are they not breaking? Or like, why are the things not working? What? Supposedly, it goes that the <laughs> train crazy. didn't have the technology on it to. Um, be able to um, cross onto the right track and so it just ran onto the the wrong track because it's a it's a second-hand train that they got from i think from australia and i think it's missing a few bits and bobs and um so you fix the train would be step i'd f- fix it yeah <laughs> and i think what's actually needed is like if you go to where um things are happening really well like look at the trains in japan oh money and yeah it's phenomenal and you can, I've coined it sort of like a train culture where it's just normal to jump on the train and you know you're going to get there on time. Um, so I think we've got to build that train culture so there's enough like demand for people seeing that as a viable alternative to come sure. live in Hamilton, work in Auckland as you need to, jump on the train, get there within a reasonable amount of time, be able to work on the train, you know, still have that productivity there. Uh, I think it's possible, but um, yeah. yeah. It's uh, not without its struggles. So let's say, like, I never thought we were going to talk about fucking trains. That's why I love this show. <laughs> we're gonna, like, we're taking a tangent. I've learned so much. So, okay, let's say, let's say your job, we had this beautiful train like mm. Japan, and it was your job to market it, to make a cultural shift so we stopped driving everywhere. How are we doing it? <laughs> well, I think just 101, some, like, basic um, awareness you know, like the amount of conversations I've had where um, people like yourself is like, what's the Tahuya? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, oh, what? There's a train that goes from Hamilton to Auckland. Like, this is completely new and it's been there for two years. So, mm. there's definitely a uh, marketing issue, a brand awareness issue, okay. uh, sort of product, what service. Platforms? What platforms are we using? We're going TikTok, we're going Facebook Reels, we're going TV, newspaper, billboards. Oh gosh, I think you know, like any good marketer, you got to go back to who is your audience. Mm. You know, where, where are they consuming media? Uh, and when I'm on the train, I actually see like a really wide range of people because mm. they're using it for different purposes. Uh, some like myself, they'll they'll open up their laptop, they'll work the whole way up. They're going there for business. Uh, others like you got, oh gosh, you got all the people on their gold card, like all the retirees going up and um, just going up for the day trip. You know, just having a nice time on the on the tahu, and then you've got families, and you've got crack up. you've got a whole range of people. So maybe you just need to pick a segment and just go like, have a here you go. That's what I'd do. I'd have a second train just for the business people and hmm. kit it out. So you've got all your um, ability to charge your laptop, to have you know a full sort of setup to be able to work on the train. Um, probably a faster train that goes direct straight into the um, mm. CBD, um, and then you could market, you know, directly using digital marketing mm. to the business people on platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook. Yeah, interesting. I, I've um, sorry for putting you through that. It was just 
interesting just randomly went there but like (laughs) there's something i'm thinking about like uh content-led targeting so what i mean by that is you know like it used to be the secret source where you're like oh yeah i know how to target the right people i can put this in the audience segment and i can write the thing that appeals to them but now there seems to be a shift the tiktokification of social media where it's interest-led so where the content is being served up to the people that want to consume that interest so what are your thoughts on content-led targeting or how have you seen targeting change in marketing since you started it's going to come back down to the product or service that it's going to be in relation to mm-hmm. so if you've got a really like interesting product or service that generally like you you only have to show a little bit about it and it sort of gets people uh, intrigued then a lot of the content does the talking for you because like you know if your product is sexy people like oh shoot yeah show me more of that you know Mm. but if you've got something really like complicated or really dry and boring that's really difficult to um you know, sell with with this sort of content piece, um, it it can be a challenge. But I think with uh, the likes of you know, if you're talking about the TikTokification, where you can take sort of sound bites of creative, you know, UGC content, um, and you've got a product or service that is easy enough to do that for, um, you half the job's already done. And then that sort of broader interest targeting um, and ability to uh, reach people through that method becomes a whole nother um, channel that you know we didn't really have uh, a few years back yeah i wonder like um you said something interesting there about like if it's not boring and it's not complicated in a way like so i used to always just have to sell whatever someone gave me you know because that's been my career and now i get to like make it and decide on what's sexy in a way should not should all products not be sexy and simple Yes, great question. I think um, any product will have its unique selling points, you know. So it's around also sometimes bringing that out and discovering what those are within your target market and within the market. Um, like I've seen some brands. Gosh, you'd think typically um, it's, it's a really boring product. Like it will just be like some kind of like roofing tile. Or something you know and it's just that they've found something about it that people actually oh shit it can do that oh it does this it has these features oh and look at this person installing it and they're doing funny things with it and it, and, and it just brings like roofing tiles to life <laughs> and something that seems so mundane um mm. they've brought it to life i know there's a what's another one i was like actually i'll go drier than that it was like a manufacturing plant um and they were just like making um like pieces of material that go into other things i'm like you can't get more like uncool than that uh and and their whole social media strategy was just like showing behind the scenes and so they were showing like how these pieces were made um just showing like all the big rigs in the factory and just like what goes into things and how people uh work with these things and just brought the whole thing to life and and every day gets like thousands of engagements for what typically would be like a really hard area to crack into with social media and content Hmm. yeah like i used to work in a banana factory oh yeah (laughs) we'll call it and um the official title is banana humper scam places is that what you call it scam places (laughs) it's going places oh this is going places yeah this is australia actually good instincts there 
and you put them on their nice little pillows and drive them on a tractor and they're like 60 80 kilos and you cut them off the tree and you cut the whole tree down to get a banana i don't know if you know that did you know that can't say i do yeah so like so you get this tree and you walk around barefoot with a machete I was barefoot and I had like fucking Rambo tied up my shirt because it was fucking 40 degrees. And then you go up to these um, these trees and you cut an X in it and then you pull and it, it folds between the X and then you whip it over your head. So sometimes you leave your hand there and your finger's gone. But, and, then you, and then you carry it and then you put on these nice little pillows and then you drive it on a tractor and line it up with a train track that's that size and you have to reverse the tractor and then slide it off and then it gets washed in these showers and then you de-hand it and your nipples start rotting because you're just in water all day <laughs> and then you put it in these nice little baths that go down to these people that put them in boxes. Wow, and that's how the banana's made. That's how bananas are made. <laughs> I have a banana tree at home, actually. Do you? Um, it oh. has one bunch of bananas and I don't think it gets that um, level of treatment, I'm afraid. You've got to step it up. Well, you also got to spray them so they change colour. Yes, yeah, because they um, if you I've, I've found like if you just leave them too long, like they ripen like really quick on the trees. You got to get them while they're a bit green and and um, yeah, if you want a little bit of longevity to them. Yeah, you like if you ever get a green one and try and ripen it, it takes a long ass time. Yeah, um, so they spray it to speed that up. Yeah, don't, don't get me started on that. Don't get yeah <laughs> on the spray. Are you I'm an sprayed. organic man? I, I uh, have a preference towards organic. Interesting. Um, is it a then marketing or is it legit? Oh, it's the health like cage benefits. free. Oh, just just from like <laughs> growing things at growing things at home. You know, I try mm. not use uh, any sort of pesticides or or things that don't need to be used. But then also, uh, you run into trouble when you just end up just getting absolutely annihilated by the bugs, and then you have put all this hard work into um, just <laughs> decimated plants, looking um, yeah, in in no produce. <laughs> Are you a gardener? You got green thumbs. Are you passionate about that? I've just started first, first year into it. I had an amazing crop of uh, tomatoes um, last summer. So um, well broadening my horizons and my hobbies. Yeah. It's not easy with the frost. No, especially today. Ice on the wind, windshield. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're prepared. Like my, um, just to go another random tangent, it seems to be the vibe today. Mum sort of believes there's going to be an Armageddon. I don't agree, but so she she got uh, part ownership on this community. Hmm. <laughs> I'm a happy and a capitalist. I'm a confused individual, and they they all had the shared. Um, what's it called when it's like a fr- uh, fruit place? What the fuck is um, orchard? orchard? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like a fruit commune. <laughs> yeah, it's a fruit commune, bro. Everyone's bananas. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not my best work, to be honest. And they all share the... So she's covered if the Armageddon happens because she's got some food and got they've fruit. got wild yeah. pigs. Oh, nice. Yeah, bit of pork with bit of pork. Yeah, And eggs. And she goes chicken hunting. Perfect. So chicken hunting is when you open the cage mm. and all the chickens assemble around you and you go hunting for grubs. So I just thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> Oh, you're giving me new, you know, new things to consider. <laughs> this is all <laughs> heavy business shit, bro. Like, yeah. the, like, it applies. Interesting, though, relating it to business, if you include eyes in the honesty box, sounds a little fucked up, if you have a picture of someone and you can see their eyes, the likelihood of theft is dramatically decreases because of the consequences of being seen. So even though the reality is they're not being seen, it's because they have the presence of eyes, less people steal. 
Yep. <laughs> um, I, that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah. You know, we do a lot of analysis of uh, content and how people, you know, relate with that, you know, creative. And that's a big thing. You know, if you can feature someone's face um, and part of that will be the eyes, but there's something just uh, deep down in our being that connects with, you know, people in, in the facial, you know, sort of structure. Um, and if you have an ad of like a product versus say like a product with someone in it looking mm. at you, um, generally speaking, the one with the person in it will perform better because there's something about that human connection and we just, we can't get away from it. Well, I find I find marketing is just the movement towards connection. So it's like, um, yep. like, I, I, like I look at thumbnails. So I went deep on thumbnails and it's like um, the extremity of expression impacts the amount of times they'll click. So if you think you're walking down the street and you see someone that's really angry, really sad, really excited, and just even, you know, which one are you going to be gravitated towards? And then also you think of bright colors. So if there's strong contrasting colors, the same way marketing in supermarkets will appeal to people because the colors represent certain foods or certain feelings. And then the other thing is, does the uh, thumbnail tell the story of the title? Mm. And it's all just human interaction in a, a two-dimensional world, you know? It's like it's just a movement to try and represent people as they truly are. Or even like when you have on a website, the gaze, if you think about where the eyes are looking, there's um, uh, you can see if you follow people's eyes, they look where the eyes are looking. Yeah. So you even think about that on the level of making a website. But anyway, so what are your thoughts on marketing being more... Is that a fair hypothesis that we are just trying to get closer to human interaction? Yeah, look, I think um, you know that, that looks at two different angles because the first one is around uh, authenticity, and that's been a big shift that we've made uh, culturally recently. And I think that is missing in that you know what can just be very digital and stale and corporate type of um, <laughs> the music. You know, I can hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> way of being um and people especially in new zealand you know we want to be able to sit down shake someone by the hand look them in the eye and um just have a you know an open honest chat around um you know how your marketing is is going and so um you know if you look at the likes of the speed of things like ai and what that means for things like uh all the way through to script writing for movies and tv shows I think what we'll find in in what I'm experiencing is that there's like a, a dryness to the the stories that are being told. Like it's just it's putting a plot line in a story, and this can be applied to to anything. It's just a general principle of like uh, you know AI is only ever going to replicate and mimic what it knows it is meant to do, hmm. um, and what whatever that data source it is that's been trained on. Um, but it's very difficult to um, mimic at a very deep level uh, an authentic relationship uh, in communication, and to be able to share a personal uh, story. And whilst it might uh, sound like one or mimic one, it's always a mimicry. It's never going to have um, the realness that comes out in a, a much deeper setting with with a human, hmm. um, and all the sort of flaws and things that come along with that that make something you know authentic. Um, it's not all nice and polished, and as much as you can train flaws into it, I think we, at least at this stage, you know, can recognise something that is truly human um, that can't be taken away. Well, it's an interesting insight. Like I actually, I, I disagree, 
but um and this is a safe space to disagree so you can shit on me too go for it <laughs> so i think i think of creativity is like a, a variable number of inputs filtered through your computer so you have this person's idea this person's idea this person's idea filtered through your experience i think that could be replicated by ai if it's got enough varied inputs and enough unique um, processing so it could replicate a type of person's experience for example and filter that and it would sound human the part that i think is interesting is um humans seem to value cost hmm. so like if i if i type and send you an email as opposed to i hand write something and send it to you the fact that it required more effort and it's more of me involved then it has more value or the guy that made the um children's book that completely ai horrible reviews because of the lack of effort that was invested into the creation of it but yeah go on what do you what do you (laughs) well it is interesting because i think um you're right uh in the sense that um you know at the end of the day if it can it has the source it is able to do a great job of taking that and then you know replicating it so if it has creative uh sources like this is a big problem at the moment is like artists mm. all their work is just getting stolen yeah and then um but the thing that it's, it's missing is if it doesn't have a source it's got nothing to feed on and to be trained on uh if you look at the likes of going back to what you're talking about with like uh, eye tracking like we're doing this big project at the moment looking at how Uh, our target audience for one of our clients is interacting with uh, their website. What are they looking at? But then what are they clicking? And what we're finding is that uh, users uh, do a lot of uh, subconscious um, uh, thinking and you see that come through where they look uh, versus what they uh, necessarily do or click on with their mouse. So AI uh, would typically look at you know, sort of that, that raw data of where, what did they click on, but it won't have that data feed of like what did they look at, where did their attention go with their eyes. Like unless you pumped in and streamed in like an, an eye feed of data, which, you know, who knows? We'll, we, <laughs> <laughs> Already there. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> with the uh, bring back the Google Glass. Um, but generally speaking, like there's always going to be elements missing that aren't being actively fed in. And that, mm. that's where I think um, when we are able to take that level of um, sort of study and manually look at how that applies, we can yeah apply a different um, sort of way of thinking to things that isn't just sort of mass data that um, AI is being trained on. Okay, here's a deep one for you. So do you think... Do you think in a way, like let's say there's some level of consciousness that is beyond, <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? How's Here this we right? go. <laughs> We're not talking about bananas this time. Bro. So like, let's say let's there's like, yeah, we're going deep, yeah. bro. We're going deep. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, AI lacks some level of consciousness or some le- lack of soul. Like I'm not a religious guy, but, and then imagine there's some level of soul in the creative process of human design, you know, like we're doing it versus AI. And we have an intuitive sense that this has a soul and this doesn't. Do you think that plays a part or is it purely just a lack of input? Do you think it could replicate it so completely that we'll never know? Does AI have a soul? (laughs) Easy questions, bro. I think there's just layers to the question and to the answer. 
I mean, at the surface level, in terms of what we see, we are now seeing um, creative that is as good and unrecognizably the same as what humans are creating. So mm-hmm. like like I follow this thing where they they do this test of like A and B and it's like which one is the you know which one's the human one which one's the AI one and it's, it's really hard to to tell now uh, except for the ones where the hand has an extra finger um, that's usually the dead <laughs> giveaway <laughs> yeah the gym, um, but it's it's all I suppose coming back to the subconscious and the nuances. These are little signals that um, an AI will never have. It will never have the mm. full and complete picture. Whether you want to draw that uh, to the ability to something deeper, like down in the soul level, or just through sheer complexity of experience, like the uh, type of skill sets and requirements now are going to be um, not so much coming up with the creative ideas. Because you look at AI, I can just pump out 100 creative ideas for you it's all to do with analyzing them and selecting them based on what you know because there's only a limit set of uh, parameters that the AI is ever working within Mm. Um, so yeah there I think there's always going to be a level of constraint to AI um, and it's just understanding um, you know whether it's you know at that sort of deeper soul level or just that complexity of nuances and subconscious level as to like why do you like an image over another image mm. like what what is your personal preference when you make that decision what is it based on that whoa that's a good question back I know it's rhetoric but um that's fascinating hey eh? what leads to a person liking certain things like I think of there's some level, like let's say attraction, symmetry, and there's also in terms of pheromones. You know, if a person has a certain similar biome to you in a way, if similar, like let's say they have the same ability to, if you combine your immunology with theirs, like if you combine your ability to navigate germs, there we say. I'm trying to use fancy words, but I shouldn't. <laughs> Basically, they 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 can handle germs in a different way than you, and they find just by that that smell um that girls would like smell a shirt of a guy mm. and they would be more attracted to that guy based on how their germs match yes which yep. is interesting and the evolutionary benefit but then i also think about these different tribes where they've got really long necks from the the, the bands that they put on them yep. they're tribes that you know mutilate their skin in order to be more attractive and then you have you know you know, model like people in the Western world or like in in Asia where they, you know, they have like whitening creams. Mm. But I don't think that's an inherent human experience of, hey, I want this thing. It seems to be as much the outside's influencing us on what is attractive. So what do you, what, back to your question, what do you think is, why do things appeal to some people and others don't? Oh, I mean, that's <laughs> these are easy questions. Comes back to marketing. Oh yeah, God, <laughs> bringing them up. We'll talk about marketing. <laughs> but I mean, like, like you, you know, I don't, I'm just going to draw a, a similarity to marketing. Like, you got direct marketing, which is, you know, often just in your face. Like, here's an offer. Do you want it? You know, and it's kind of like I guess if you look at that kind of cultural aspect, like some things are are a common place it's very overt if it's putting rings around your neck you know you can see it everyone's seeing it so part of it is there's no subtlety to it it's just um also through things like uh, frequency of exposure to something so if 
everyone is seeing that rings around the neck is is cool mm. um, or, or any of those things that you've um, you know put there you know if it's having some crazy hairdo you know think about fashions and trends why is a fashion a fashion for however long it is but if you have enough frequency and exposure to it uh, some people will just adopt why is that mm. you know and then you can have a look at um, some of the subconscious decisions that go around why did they particularly uh, choose a um, variant of that style you know and so a lot of decisions are made direct whether it's um, a price is that price right for me uh, is that hairstyle right for me um, through to uh, what are the subconscious decisions going on in the background what what led you to work out whether that cost was a good cost for you you know, or that hairstyle is how am I going to be perceived within my sort of culture and, and tribe? Mm. So I think there is um, definitely multiple components happening at once, and that's why marketing just you know isn't that straightforward because sometimes you just need to have a good offer to the right person at the right time. Sometimes you need to have like brand and frequency, and just just get in front of the person enough times, and they'll be like. Oh yeah! After the twentieth time, they're like, "That is a really cool thing. I'll get that," mm. <laughs> and they think they've made that decision themselves. But we're mm. here clicking the counter, going, "All right, ah, oh, I got them on the twentieth one." Because yeah. I, I hear commonly people say, "Like, oh, they're listening to us. The Facebook ads are listening to us." And I wonder that is like, how much of it is us being influenced or us influencing it? So, what are your thoughts on like? <laughs> What are your thoughts on marketing and and how culture influences people? Because we all want to fit in in some way and conform and mm. but feel like an individual, but really we're all sheep. Yeah. Look, I, <laughs> how do you know? Um, I think everything's cyclical because yeah. it's like data and data out, you know. Um, and then going back to like, is it is it listening to me? There are times, without a doubt, where oh, okay it has to be listening to you because there is no other data for it to um, you know, make that connection. But then there are really complex um, algorithms that go into determining why someone might do something and the chance that they might do it. And it just happened to be that one of those matched and you get freaked out that it matched. And so, but then what were those algorithms built on? It's mm. like the data going into it. So algorithms need data but data's got to come from somewhere so it's all got to feed into itself mm. i think like like the average human i think even me like yeah most people i meet including me are so easily influenced by their emotions so you think about like how little data you'd probably need to influence a person like i have relatively limited data compared to facebook advertising you know but I could probably get a sense of if a person's in this environment, I know this about them, they're probably going to act in this way. And if I ask this kind of question in this way, it'll help them realize this about themselves. There's a certain, and then it gets to a point where the advertising's so good, we're just fucking, you know, plugged in. You know what I mean? Like it'll be hard to resist because it's so potent. Yes. It's irrelevant. Yeah. It's, it's scary where we're going <laughs> yeah. because... I think the average person would be terrified to know how many decisions they make in their subconscious without actually being in control. 
And so if you actually dig into like the behavioral sciences, you will see that you know, our brain has like different systems that it works to. And if you think about the sort of the frontal lobe and our sort of direct decisions that, okay, I'm choosing to pick the banana out of the fruit bowl. There you go, call back. Um, <laughs> yeah, shout out. <laughs> you might have really specifically chosen that banana because uh, yeah, everything else didn't look appealing and, and you really felt like a banana. You made that conscious decision. But if you were just walking by the fruit bowl and you're like, shoot, I'm hungry, I just need a snack, and you just grab for something, there's probably a lot of like subconscious uh, decisions being done in the sort of second part of, of your brain in the back end mm. that you just reach and you actually chose an apple. You know, why? Um, it's all happening on the fly if you think, um, you know, if, uh, what is it? Um, thinking fast and thinking slow, different brain systems. But um, bringing that back to how many decisions do we make actively knowing what we're making, it, it is frightening. And then combine that with being bombarded by, um, I mean, this number just keeps going up, but you, you're having thousands of messages in one way or another blasted at you every single day. Now, how many of those are actually sticking? And secondly, how many of those are not only sticking, but influencing you without you even knowing it? Mm. And so, like, this opens up like, bigger questions around, like, uh, frequency and exposure to a message uh, and then what we call, you know, marketing um attribution or attribution modeling so how do we attribute if you've seen something and then acted on it and all the studies show that when you are exposed to something enough times you're greatly increased you know you're you're much more likely to act on it just through sheer frequency Hmm. and so you think you acted on that out of your on your own you know you didn't it was you you got us it was me (laughs) (laughs) wow bro like oh that's trippy because yeah yeah, I think I think very little, like very little, of my decisions are appropriate for the environment that I'm in. You know, I, I have a, some level distorted view of the rea- my reality. You know, it's an adaptative view of reality. So it's like there's an evolutionary psychologist on um, Lex Friedman, and he said, with almost 100% certainty, we are not seeing reality as it is because it's too energy cost ineffective. Like you're not. Like, if you look suddenly left and right, you won't see anything. It'll blur out everything that you just saw because it can't process all that all at once. And we're limited on what we can consume, comprehend, and understand. Now, combine that with the emotions of your past experiences as well as the confirmation bias where people tend to want to confirm what they know and not explore the truth. Mm. Very little of my decisions are logical. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, my my mum didn't hug me when I was five, so now every time someone high fives me, I think they don't love me. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just. So how do you tap into the emotions, or do you think is there a place for emotions in business? People think there isn't, but I think it's even almost more emotional. So much to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> Pick whatever. There's so much to unpack there. Um, We've got ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's something that I've been doing a lot of thinking on at, at the moment, just through um, various experiences and in you know, different uh, content that I'm reading. Um, but the ability to understand things at that deeper level, which for so long has gone like unknown, but like even just taking your example there, like finally figuring out the connection that, oh, it's because my mum didn't hug me when I was five. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
for the longest time, like we didn't have the science and the data and the ability to draw that conclusion. And now like we do, but mm. not in all instances. In some instances, we, we finally do. And so it's like, what do we do with that information now that we know that? Um, but then also like, again, thinking about the, the experiences you've had and how much is that like feeding into a lot of the decisions you're making? Uh, I think in one way, um, a, a lot of places are capitalizing on that in the sense of like <laughs> uh, nostalgia. Um, <laughs> why, where did you go there, bro? Let's just say lost. No one knows why you're laughing except you. No, they don't. Yeah. Um, you don't want to share it, do a you? A very good friend of mine um, calls it the nostalgia boner. Oh, the um, nostalgia boner. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was tossing up yeah, whether to um, uh, bring it's that out in. There now. Um, it is out there. You're um, but you yeah, I'm, I'm gone. Um, <laughs> not, like, nostalgia is like a really big thing now. Like, look yeah, at Barbie yeah. coming back. Yeah, Barbie. You know? Do you want to go there, though? I'll leave that one. <laughs> um, but, like, look at all the remakes and reruns and yeah. reinvisited, reinvisaged, um, you know, TV shows, movies, mm. uh, soundtracks. Everything is just like it's rewriting the same plot line and narrative. Like we're struggling to come up with like really new and original things because mm. I think we know it works. It's an easy sell. Like we know if we bring up Barbie to someone that used to play with Barbie back uh, then, um, it's going to bring back all those memories mm. from there. And it's a great opportunity to uh, to Get sell again. So I think you, you're going to see these like <laughs> twenty to thirty. <laughs> <laughs> that's the strategy there just capitalize on the nostalgia boner every 20 to 30 years as people from their childhood grow up and then just remarket the same thing back to them like just bring star wars back in again you know pokemon and they sell million. it to the next yeah look pokemon's gonna be the next big thing there well the cards one million bucks for a pokemon card yeah charizard yeah mine all got um mine all got thrown out you're a fucking... You could be a... Well, you might already be a millionaire. I don't know. I had a Charizard once. Um, yeah, I, like higher... Uh, higher what the fuck? You, words. You know shinies. The, shinies. The shinies is all you call them? Hieroglyphics for yeah. once. Yeah, yeah, shinies. You call them shinies. Were you a Pokemon man? Did you get on the go? The Pokemon go? Were you out there trying oh, to Oh, I did for it? a bit. Gosh, Whoa. you should have seen me out there. I've, I've never been so motivated to get my steps on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't. I, if I had known that, I wouldn't invite you on, mate. <laughs> It's Yu-Gi-Oh or nothing, bro. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> you probably have a similar ilk, so you could... You, what was your cartoon, like, when you were a kid? What was, like, your fucking Wolfstar? You know what I mean? Like, it was right in the middle. We weren't allowed to watch cartoons. Oh, you were banned. But, um, Mormon. I'd always go through... <laughs> Amish. You give Amish vibes. All the bro. above. Um, when I was over at my friend's house, we'd watch uh, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Pokemon. Yeah. Do you ever watch back and realize how shit the actual fight scenes were? Like they're drawn out for like ten years, and then and then finally they throw a punch by the tenth episode. That would not work on social media now. TikTok would be like, "Give me the you know fifteen second summary." <laughs> it's gone. We've lost the attention span. I mean, that's a true relic mm. of like how much attention we had. Like, and we we would book that slot in. You know, Wednesday at three p.m. after school. <laughs> make sure we were there for that like, sort of you know thirty minute power up from Goku's. <laughs> Uh, we had a lot of this going on back then fucking spirit bomb all day of the week it was for like three episodes yeah I I struggle to watch it now yeah my attention yeah it's gone it's out the window do you think so like there's strong research that supports that um, 
if you develop a dopamine dependency early on, um, and you think about it, it's probably a bit dark, but the access to R-rated content as a young age, you the the attention span, so you're consuming TikTok, and you know, you, and you you don't have the awkward social encounter, the transactional nature of dating. Mm. What do you think is the future? Do you think we're going to be like hunched over gremlins that can't even look people in the eyes, or what? what where are we going? <laughs> Mm. We're we're going into very murky waters, um, especially with I think it's the fact that it's happening earlier and earlier. Like people are getting hooked on the the dopamine, having dopamine dependency, and what they're being exposed to at a much earlier age. We are yet to see what that is going to mean for the long, long term. But we are already starting to see uh, a lot of like uh, attention disorders. Uh, being able to hold a conversation, being able to just socialize with peers. You know, people would rather stay home uh, than go out and socialize. Mm. People would rather just hang out with their friends than actually take the risk of, like, dating. Uh, And so, you know, just it's really basic math, but, like, what will that mean in terms of, like, repopulating and, um, you know, the future of everything? Jesus. What are you – do you – Someone said to me, like, if you drop a cannonball from space, this relates to what you're saying, believe it or not, how often will it hit someone? Like, pretty low, and we're supposedly overpopulated and under-resourced, but we're not. There's a misallocation of resources, and we have a population that's decreasing. Some areas are increasing. Do you agree Do you agree with that, or do you not know anything about it? Because I actually think we're losing, we're not running out of resources, we're running out of people. Yeah, I, w- I would tend to think that if we look at it, a lot of what we do is very inefficient, even within you know what what we have. Let alone imagine if we were a lot more efficient with space and resource. Like Singapore, we're sweet. We you know we get a bit hyst- a bit of hysteria around certain things. Fuck, <laughs> um, <laughs> he thinks so many things that don't sound to me. <laughs> I mean, there's cons- I don't give a fuck about my consequence. I just need a phone. I've got a business. If I get cancelled, it is what it is. But the the uh, I think what what is just genuinely interesting is um, the idea of like populations. Like this, mm. um, just hearing like if if you can't uh, either maintain or increase your population, and your country goes into like getting smaller and smaller like what what happens or like even just like thinking through the um, baby boom and if you've got like less people coming through they sort of um, wear the burden of the um, inefficiencies um, you know you got you got to fill the gap of um, what used to have resource there so hopefully um, AI can help, can help us a bit there um, but otherwise you know you got to have you got to have people otherwise you have no country yeah well said, mate. You might that's controversial opinion. I, I'm a. I'm gonna put my financial advisory hat on. The aging population, we're fucked. We can't afford them. I say to everyone I plan anyone that's less than forty, I'm like prepare for no pension, because <laughs> like right. they can't. Yeah, <laughs> and even now, I think I think it was 2013, 60 to seventy percent of people over the age of sixty-five only had like an extra hundred bucks on top of super. And super's like fucking, you know, 25 grand to 30 grand-ish after tax. And one's for a couple and one's for a single. So we're fucked. Start having babies. Make babies, make money. Make babies, make make money to make more babies, probably. And yeah, you probably, first. yeah you probably need money if you're going to be making babies. Mm. I think, 
Uh, like, so part of my long-term dream is to give every person the opportunity to live a fulfilling life. This will relate again. Once again, I just got on a random tangent, talk about me. Um, and I was thinking of what the biggest ROI mm. of where to target, and it was parents and businesses. Because mm. a third of your life is spent at work, and if you hate it, then your life sucks. And then the other part is zero to three, if you help parents, you know, support their children, a lot of their identity is developed then. And it's really hard to un- undo. So if you fucked them up zero to three, it's pretty well set. <laughs> so I was just <laughs> so I think like around that parenting component and helping supporting people. Like, why can't we make parenting more important in society? Why can't we? <laughs> I'm going nowhere. DM kids, you got a ring, so you must be close. Not yet. Not yet. Oof. How many do you want, kids? I do. How yeah. many? Um, Population, remember? As many as I uh, can. can. <laughs> Are you scared? Let's say let's say you find out you're going to be a father in yeah. like two weeks. What Amazing. goes through your head? Amazing? You excited? I think I'll be excited. And then uh, I think the reality of the logistics would <laughs> I'd, yeah, be a lot of calculations being done quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> what, but, what would be something, sorry to interrupt, what would be something as a father you would want to instill in your kids? What would you want them to look as you at you and your legacy and what you stand for? Look, I think um, what's really important at the end of the day is uh, strong, good, healthy um, values. Um, And they can just be simple values, like the um, value of being able to socialize, um, to treat others with respect and love and kindness, and not be hooked on um, blooming dopamine, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, Phones and no phones? Uh, limited, I think. I, you know, I think going back to the ROI conversation, what is the net ROI of like um, giving a phone to a kid? Um, you know, what is the actual use of it going to be that is going to add value to their life uh, versus mm-hmm. in the long term subtract from it? I think you should do that ROI calculation before just blindly giving them. Well, then that becomes a, a balance between. I'm just push this this turns off every 30 minutes but i just changed the camera so we've got five minutes just, um like it's a balance like you think about all the most important values you've developed what did that come from some level of suffering in simple terms you know in order to develop patience you need to wait in order to develop work hard work you need to consistently work hard mm. so in a way if you protect your children from the realities of the world then the realities of the world are going to find them regardless. But then also, if you don't share the phone with them early on, they might have a better chance. Mm. So as a future father, (laughs) how do you think you'd navigate the giving them enough suffering so they have the values? (laughs) I'll just feed them a little bit of suffering on a spoon, you know. Well, you kind of need to, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know... I don't claim to know all the answers. I'm, I'm sure I'll find a lot uh, along the way. It's such a cop-out question. But yeah, I think yeah. the opposite is true in the sense that, um, you know, we, we live in a world where uh, there's a lot of shortcuts, you know, like back in my day, um, mm. you know, you had to turn on the internet and let it dial up and <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, and, um, you know, <laughs> oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> it goes in the um you know the one. Yeah, um, you can be And then connect and you wait for the pop-up. <laughs> and then finally, you are now connected. You open the browser. Like, 
So you had to develop a lot of patience yeah, around yeah. things or going back to the cartoons after school. Like you had to wait a whole week for the next thing. Mm. But all these things um, develop like values of patience, mm. you know. And if you can't develop patience at home and everything has to be instant, you have to be you know gratified instantly and then you're going out into a world where that is, like I think uh, you can develop some core skills at home that are going to be invaluable for going into the world. Like I don't think you need to experience instant gratification. Like it'll... It'll come to you before you know it anyway. You go around to your friend's place and, and they have a they they have Uber Eats and they can get any food as soon as they want it now. You know, like I don't think you can escape it unless you go live in a field. So uh, in the uh, orchard, was it the fruit orchard? Yeah, the, the orchard. fruit commune. Yeah, maybe the there, com- maybe, in, <laughs> the maybe in the fruit commune uh, you might be safe. But uh, I think, yeah, just basic really good <laughs> <laughs> principles yeah. is what... Um, what is going to prepare you, and, and you're gonna you're gonna have to face society um, pretty quickly anyway. Good. Well, I mean, this has been a very random podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but I've enjoyed it. I mean, okay, uh, I, I tend to just abruptly end things purely for retention. So, um, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Oh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>